Most people will think that it can't be so simple, that it shouldn't be so simple. And so they will go on their way, ignoring the simplicity of it, and thereby missing out on the glory of it. I hope that won't be you today. And I pray it will never be me. Listen to how ridiculously simple it is in Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your ear to understanding... Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, in chapter 1, verse 7, he described the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge. So here in verse 5, understanding that the, understanding the fear of the Lord is the foundation of a life of wisdom. It is the beginning. And so when you remember that from chapter 1, this chapter falls into place. Do you see the ridiculous simplicity of it? What do you have to do in order to get started with wisdom? In order to become wise? We've already discussed in previous sermons that the Father speaking in this poem speaks as a representative of God Himself. And so, speaking on behalf of God, He says, to get wisdom, in verses 1 and 2, you only need to receive it from the Lord. And then verses 3 and 4 say that all you need to do is ask Him for it. This is not necessarily a sequence. Both need to happen. Maybe you receive and then you ask for more. Or maybe you ask for it and then you receive it when it's given. But regardless, the receiving and the asking are constant and they never end. But that's it. That's all it takes to become wise. Receive it. And ask for it. You see, the most difficult part about it is that you have to first believe that you need it. You need wisdom. You don't already have it on your own. And then you have to seek it from the right source, which is not from deep within your heart. It is from the heart and mind of God. Children, young people, When your parents remind you of something they've already told you a thousand times, I encourage you not to roll your eyes and cut them off with a frustrated, I know. Because if they are reminding you of something for the thousand and first time, It is almost certainly because you haven't been listening the first thousand times. 
So instead of getting angry and cutting them off, I think it would be wiser for you to say, yes, father, or yes, mother, and then actually receive it. Take it to heart and do it. Adults, maybe you think this is funny when I say it to the children. I had a lot of fun figuring out how to say it to the children, but it's not nearly as funny when I have to say it to you. Or to myself, for that matter. You've heard the other preachers and me saying every week that Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead to clinch the deal. And you hear us telling you that Jesus alone is where your life is to be found. And yet, when I feel the least bit dismissed or disrespected by someone, I still snap at them angrily. Because I still think that my value must somehow still lie within myself rather than in my Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it for you? In what area of your life is it hard for you to listen to the Lord and ask Him for help. Where are you trying to go your own way following the desires of your heart? Where have you been reminded of the same truth from Scripture a thousand times and yet it still hasn't changed? Because in Proverbs, wisdom is a journey, not a destination. All you have to do is start listening. Start asking for it. With respect to wisdom, everything that happened before today does not matter. The only thing that that matters is what happens starting today. Will Jesus be enough for you? Friends, it's ridiculously simple to become wise. Receive wisdom from God. Seek wisdom. Wisdom from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, please grant us strength and humility to ask for wisdom and to not reject it because of how ridiculously simple it is to become wise. Help us, we pray. May we look to Jesus. May we love him and seek him and not turn inward to follow our own hearts and our natural desires. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So maybe Proverbs 2 has a little more to say than that. Let me explain the rest of the chapter in the next 25 minutes or so. I just didn't want anything to get in the way of communicating the ridiculous simplicity of becoming wise. Only two things are required. Receive it and seek it. 
Just pay attention when it smacks you upside the head and search for it as for hidden treasure. But let me now explain the rest of Proverbs 2, which describes what happens if you receive and seek wisdom from God. There are two things you will understand, and there are three reasons why it works. Okay, that's where we're heading in the rest of our time. There are two things you will understand and three reasons why it works. And those three reasons will cover many verses, but we'll breeze through them pretty quickly. First, let me talk about two things you'll understand once you become wise. The whole poem is really based on the if statements of verse 1 through 4. That's what the poet is after. Verse 1, if you receive. Verse 3, if you call out. Verse 4, if you seek it. But what happens if you do the if? The poem has two then statements in it in verses 5 and 9. And both of them are about what this process of receiving and seeking wisdom will enable you to understand. There are two things you'll understand. First, in verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And second, in verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. So if you receive wisdom from God and you seek wisdom from God, you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity, every good path. In other words, what he's getting at is that you will know God, verse 5, and you will learn to love your neighbor as yourself, verse 9. With these two assurances, the sage in this poem, is summing up the entire law of Moses. Everything God commands his people boils down to loving God and loving one another. And this chapter now reveals to the people of God that wisdom is the key ingredient to pulling off these two tasks of loving God and loving neighbor. For the law to be fulfilled, wisdom is required. And this truth really pops when you find out that later the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ himself is our wisdom from God. That was totally on purpose on his part and not just an offhanded metaphor. He said, Jesus is what we need in order for the law of God to be fulfilled in us. And then once we belong to him, he changes us so that his commandments are not burdensome for us. So, are you struggling with your love for God? Just ask him for wisdom, for Jesus, and receive his wisdom when he offers it. Are there places where you could grow at loving other people? Just ask him for wisdom and receive it when he offers it. Do you see how ridiculously simple this is? 
the entire law of Moses, which we tend to think of as a model of complexity and confusion, all boils down to this. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to be able to obey him. God doesn't ask for things that are impossible for humans to accomplish, but he does ask for things that are impossible for humans to accomplish apart from his strength and wisdom. So friends, when life is hard, just ask God for help. When you're not sure what it is you're supposed to do, just ask God for help. When you're stuck up against something, just ask God for help. And this is a big deal because for many of us, asking for help is one of the hardest things to do. Young people, maybe you get stuck in your homework or you get mad at a sibling who annoys you, it's hard to ask for help. Adults, maybe you prefer to be self-made and independent. It's hard to ask for help. Students, maybe you're still trying to prove yourself. It's hard to ask for help. Seniors and grandparents, maybe you believe you should have life figured out by now. It's hard to ask for help. But Proverbs chapter 2 assures every one of us that you can know God and you can do what is right by others. You just need to ask for help. You need to receive God's wisdom. You need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your wisdom, because then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity. But why? Why does it work this way? How can it be so ridiculously simple? We have those two things we'll understand, but the poem also gives us three reasons why it works. Three reasons why it works, this ridiculously simple process of becoming wise. The first reason is because of what God does before you. What God does before you. This is in verses 6 through 8. Why does this work? That you'll know God, you'll understand the fear of the Lord. Verse 6, for, here's why it works, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So why is it that we can understand the fear of the Lord simply by receiving it? Why can we find the knowledge of God simply by seeking for it? It's because verse 6 tells us that the Lord delights to give it, to give wisdom. Verse 7 says that he has stored it up. He's just waiting for you to ask so he can dish it out to you. 
Do you see how lavish his grace is? His wisdom is actually not mysterious or scattered or secret. Before you even thought to look for it, he had gathered it up and held it in reserve. He's not been holding out on you. He's just waiting for you to receive it. It is so important that we bask in this grace of God. Because if we miss the import of this grace, we might come away from a sermon like this or a book like this, thinking of wisdom as something we must take care of for ourselves. And yes, there is a role that the Lord calls us to play in turning toward him, walking with him, and receiving what he has to offer. The way Jesus summarized our role is to repent and believe in the gospel. But we can expect great things when we turn to him, when we repent and believe in the gospel, because the Lord is standing there with a continent-sized measuring cup, and he says, open your mouth. And then when we do, he dumps all the good stuff right in. Before we ever thought to come to God and ask him for wisdom, he had already filled up his heavenly storehouse. His supply of wisdom will never run out. This is what God does before you even come to ask him. And that's the first reason why becoming wise is so ridiculously simple. Because God has stored it up just waiting for you to ask. The second reason why the big if-then of this chapter works is because of what happens inside you. It's because of what happens inside you. It's in verses 9 and 10. We already looked at verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For, here's why it works, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You see, when you open your mouth and God begins to dump his continent-sized measuring cup of wisdom, the wisdom of God enters you and takes up residence in your heart. It's like a little pioneer or a squatter that takes over and starts claiming his rights over you. And the knowledge of God becomes pleasant to your soul such that you love and desire God more than anything else. The Lord himself becomes your crush. Your all-consuming passion. So when you open yourself up to the Lord's instruction. When you hear his word. When you gaze upon the redemption accomplished by Jesus Christ. And you confess that you have nothing to contribute. All you know is that you want what he's offering. And you need as much of it as possible. Because then your heart will change. Your passions and your desires will change. For me, this change was most dramatic when I first came to Christ. In high school, I lived for music and for girls. Playing the trombone was my life and my identity. Dating girls was my joy and my satisfaction. And both sets of idols failed me 
completely in my junior year. I had a failed audition for an honors band. I had an ugly breakup with a cute girl, and the combination of these things launched me into depression, brought me to the point where I was confessing for the first time that I had nothing to offer. And so I could turn to Jesus as my only hope. And he gave me a new set of passions and desires, a new set of life ideals, a greater sense of security and a hope for the future. Music and girls were still pretty neat, at least one girl, at the right place, at the right time. But the Lord Jesus was now supreme over all. This transformation is all about learning to love what God loves. That's what he says here. Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This very transformation is not a once for all change. It doesn't just happen once. It happens every time we turn away from our self-satisfactions and to the Lord Jesus. And friends, that's why we can't wait on our desires to change before we start seeking the Lord. We must do the seeking first, and then the desires will follow. For example, most days, I don't feel like reading my Bible. I really don't. But as I choose to pursue it, expecting hidden treasure, expecting to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ and to get wisdom from Him, when I choose to receive it, even if I'm not particularly feeling the need for it, I find that over time I come to enjoy and desire the Lord's instruction more and more. This is what happens inside you. God dumps out his wisdom in great excess. It moves into your heart and takes you over. That's why this whole thing works, because it transforms you. But that leads us then to the third reason why it's so ridiculously simple to become wise, which is because of what happens outside you. It's because of what God does before you, because of what happens inside you, and now third, because of what happens outside you. This is the second half of the poem, which I'm going to cover relatively quickly. Verses 11 through 22. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, 
and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So what he's saying in this part of the poem is that discretion and understanding, verse 11, they play the role of managers or guardians. Like the coach who can see the whole game better than you can while you're on the playing field and who shouts instructions to you from the sideline. So while I'm getting all worked up about the person who annoys me, the Holy Spirit calls out from the sideline, so to speak, to remind me, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Bear with one another in love. And in the moment, I have that extra help I need to make a better choice. I only have to listen to it and receive it. So in short, receiving and asking for God's wisdom actually makes me wise. It does this by making me to know God and to love what he loves. And then it also coaches me, the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit coaches me through life in this foolish world. Now, verse 11 ends with the assurance that understanding will guard you. And we ought to ask particularly, guard us from what? And that's what he addresses in the rest of the poem. In verses 12 through 15, in this first stanza here in this section, he describes the way of evil men. And we've already met these men If you've read the book of Proverbs, these men who delight in doing evil, we met them in chapter 1. It's the street gang trying to recruit you into their membership so you can hurt others and get more stuff. These evil men are a poetic metaphor for greed. And then in verses 16 through 19, he introduces a new character, the forbidden woman. And just as with the evil men... The forbidden woman here is not a specific woman. It's not about women generally. It's a, a, uh, a literary caricature. It's a poetic metaphor for something that he will elaborate on in great detail in chapters 5, 6, and 7. The forbidden woman is a metaphor for sexual immorality. In these two stanzas, 12 to 15 and 16 to 19, he is summarizing side by side the two primary obstacles to wisdom. These are the two main dangers facing anyone who seeks the wisdom of God. These are the two things most likely to turn you away from listening to the Lord and toward listening to the natural desires of your own heart instead. These two things are greed and sexual immorality. And when God's wisdom enters your heart, it guards you from these dangers. Wisdom coaches you. It reminds you of the truth of God's word, and it guides you on the path of righteousness. 
Now, I won't, <clears throat> excuse me, I won't elaborate any further on these two dangers now. If you'd like, you can listen to the recording of my sermon on greed from chapter 1, verses 8 to 19, and we'll have much more coming soon on the topic of sexual immorality when we hit chapters 5 through 7. But to close, we should take note of what wisdom guards us for in the last three verses. Wisdom delivers us from the path of evil men and from the path of the forbidden woman. But in verse 20, it delivers us for the way of the good. And then verses 21 and 22 talk about inhabiting the land or being cut off from the land, which sounds very strange to our ears today. But it made a whole lot of sense to the ancient Israelites reading this poem. Because in, in Genesis chapter 12, one of God's three main promises to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, was that his descendants would inherit the land of Canaan. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses highlights this promised land as one of the chief blessings of walking in fellowship with God. If people obey the law, they will get to enjoy the land of promise. But if they disobey and turn aside to other gods, they will be expelled from the land. Proverbs 2 now picks up on these promises of blessing and curse for the people of Israel. And the point in this chapter is that not only does wisdom empower God's people to obey God's law, that whole thing I talked about, about loving God and loving your neighbor, but also, he says here at the end, that wisdom is the means through which God delivers to them the blessings of obeying his law, or the curses for failing to obey his law. And remember, from where we sit, we now know wisdom by a better name, the name of Jesus. Why does this matter? It's because even at the end of this chapter, the poet is showing how much wisdom has to offer to the people of God. Remember the point. It is ridiculously simple to become wise. I'm not saying that it's easy, only that it is simple. It is not very complex. Wisdom will change you from the inside out so that God's law is obeyed and you get to enjoy the blessings of a close-knit relationship with God. You see, wisdom will transform your desires and guard you against evil and temptation and all of this is available to you because God has stored it up just waiting for you to ask. So all you have to do is receive it and ask for it. The problem is that this seems so ridiculously simple that we won't do it. We want it to feel more challenging. We want to feel like we have done something to earn it. We want a righteousness of our own doing and not one that comes from God. And friends, the Lord Jesus calls out to you today. He says that your knowledge and your righteousness are not good enough. They will never be good enough. 
Will you humble yourself enough to ask him to share his wisdom and righteousness with you? Because there's enough of it to go around. Because it's ridiculously simple to become wise. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you and we give you thanks that you would make it so simple for us to know you. Please grant us the humility to overcome our pride and our self-interest that we might turn to you and receive life and the blessings of walking in close relationship with you. Thank you for making yourself available. Thank you for making the Lord Jesus Christ available to all people everywhere. And so we call on his name now and we rejoice and delight in the salvation that he has provided for us. Please grant us wisdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.